are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome to another Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. I am Jackson Gatlin, host of the Locked On Rockets podcast. He is Matt Moore, senior NBA writer at the Action Network and co-host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. And we are here to break down a night of three elimination games in a super chippy series between the Clippers and Mavericks. What's up, Matt? How you doing? Good, man. Lots of basketball. This is the last night of four games that we're going to have this NBA season. We will not have more than four games for the remainder of the playoffs and won't really have more than two going forward. So we are into the very regimented schedule from here on out as uh, three teams we are saying goodbye to after tonight. A lot to get into, but first, today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. I don't know about you, man, but I felt like the Paul Pierce meme, like, you know, the double phones, like trying to keep track of all the games tonight. And thankfully, <laughs> three of them wound up being kind of, you know, blowouts, the the elimination games. And we're going to get on the get more on those in the second segment, kind of knock those out in rapid succession. But the the big one from the night, the one that kind of delivered, uh, you know, as build is the, the series where the road team, you know, maintains road court advantage. Right. Mavericks Clippers, really <laughs> chippy series between two teams, a game where where we had another stellar performance from Luka Doncic. I mean, what else, you know, can we say about the guy? Walks away 42 points, 14 assists, you know, doing everything for the Dallas Mavericks and really destroying the defensive schemes that the Clippers keep trying to throw at him. So let me ask you, uh, 42 points, 14 assists, 17 of 37 from the field, 6 of 12 from three-point range, and a plus 15 in a win along with eight rebounds. Do you like Luca's better or Dame's 55 and the loss with 10 assists? Which do you think was the better performance? Oh, man. I, you know, I it's not – I really think they're, they're both such great performances. I, I kind of have to tip my cap to Luca because he came away with the win. But can we just talk about for a minute just how much – uh, their sidekicks and their cohorts in CJ McCollum <laughs> and, and Christoph Porzingis have just continually let them down. I mean, CJ McCollum with the crucial turnover, Porzingis, you know, playing hot potato at the end of the game, you know, just three of six shooting, only eight points in this one. You know, I, I really feel for Dame and Luca, two guys who really are putting their teams on their respective shoulders and, you know, doing everything that they can on a nightly basis to try and walk away with, with wins, only it just didn't work out for Dame. You know, I, I think the reason that I was actually leaning towards Luca, despite the scoring differential, and Dame did have ten assists, but it felt like Luca controlled that game. Like there were stretches where it was, it didn't matter what the Clippers did; he was exploiting it. Like he was, he was manipulating the defense into what he wanted versus just being like, "Okay, I don't care what you're going to do. I'm just going to rise up and I'm going to shoot over you." Like Luca was, like there was a like they. I don't know why. End of third quarter, Ty Lue goes back to to Zubac. And so immediately, Luca puts Terrence Mann into the torture trap of he's stuck on him on, on his backside hip. So Luca's got him in jail. Zubac can't contain him up front, and Luca just tears them apart on possession after possession after possession. I mean, it was it was brutal. You saw some pretty inventive stuff out of Rick Carlisle tonight, starting Boban Marjanovic to get an early advantage and then going zone. He went to two giant dudes and then ran zone and it helped the Mavericks get out to a lead early. And like this, that's really important. I think when you're playing the Clippers, 
you need to establish a lead so that they're trying to chase and catch up to you because they're high variance with those threes. So when they don't hit those threes, it seems more costly because they're slipping further and further behind. And so I, I love the strategy that, that Carlisle implemented. Like this was the first game where Carlisle really turned the screws and came out with something. And honestly, like this is pretty rare for most coaches to do they do not go to these kind of links to insert a new starter and then implement an entirely new defensive scheme that is a wildly different shift and then you will see from most coaches even the most inventive ones so uh tip of the cap i think definitely to rick carlisle for coming out with a scheme that put the clippers on their heels but even then you know the clippers get back in this game they have an opportunity to win this game late they're right there and they just don't show up. And well, I mean, more more specifically, who didn't show up, right? Everybody's going to try and play the card. Everybody's going to try and say, oh, playoff P this. No, no, no. We need to talk about the guy who really didn't show up in this one, Kawhi mm-hmm. Leonard, who disappeared mm-hmm. down the stretch of this game. Didn't show up until, what was it, the final minute or so when he had the, the you know, and one opportunity. And, you know, drives to the basket, completes that one. Sure, finally did something, but he was nowhere to be found for the final, you know, what was it, five, six minutes of the fourth quarter. And you talk about that run to end the third. The Mavericks went on a 16-0 run to really take control of this game. And yes, they kind of gave the Clippers a chance to get back into this game at the end. But Kawhi Leonard did not rise to the occasion. And I know you feel some kind of way about that, Matt. I do. I just I don't understand why it is that Paul George catches all the slack and for some reason Kawhi's exempt because a four bouncer went in and then Fred Van Vliet went wild in 2019 in the versus the Bucks and then Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson got hurt. Like if we really look at it, I've always said this. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is overrated because I think he is that good as a basketball player. He's overstated because of the way that we talk about his reputation and his kind of sense. Seven of nineteen. For Kawhi tonight, here's one for you. He hit one shot outside of the paint tonight, Jackson. One shot outside of the paint, and that. And let me tell you, fair fair amount of attempts too. This is not a he didn't try many outside of it. Uh, just they need him to pace the game better. Like when the Mavericks get stuck, and you can tell that they're stalling, Luca will rattle off a few possessions where he controls the game, and either gets them back within range of the of of if they're behind. Or extends the lead to keep them in control. Kawhi doesn't do that so much. He just, you know, he had that huge first half in game two and then was quiet in the second half. And he was great in games three and four in Dallas, and maybe he'll be great in game six. But they, if there's going to be a hierarchy, and the way that the Clippers have presented this, it, there always has been. It hasn't been like Kawhi and PG are equal superstars. It's always been like, well, there's Kawhi and then like, hey, also PG. And if that's going to be the case, then Kawhi Leonard is going to have to be the one that carries them and does the hard work and really controls the game on either end. He hasn't been great defensively in this series. And at some point, that's where the focus needs to turn is what's Kawhi Leonard giving this team as it struggles to get out of the first round? To put it in reference, we talk about Kawhi and PG's performances in this game. PG walks away 23 points, 7 of 15 shooting, 3 of 7 from behind the arc, 6 of 6 at the charity stripe to go along with 10 rebounds and 6 assists, a plus 17 for the Clippers. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Kawhi Leonard just 20 points on 7 of 19, as you mentioned, Matt, just 1 of 7 beyond the three-point arc, five of 6 at the line, 5 boards, 5 assists, had a steal, 2 blocks, uh, but was a minus 8 
in his uh, 42 minutes played in this game. And then there was, you know, a little bit of differential from the bench between these two teams, the Mavericks with uh, 18 points off the bench to just 11 from the Clippers. I don't think that's necessarily a story to point to. I really think that you you mentioned it. I really think it was just the way that Luka controlled this game. And I think he's one of the few stars in this league that he's going to go at his speed no matter what. You know, he steers a game. He puts his fingerprints on a game. And the way that he was able to dominate for stretches in this one and really take over. I mean, there's very few guys in this league that can do it the way that he does it. This game was very, very, very close. Like you look at all these numbers. So like points in the paint, there's a two point differential second chance points. There's a four point differential fast break points. There's a two point differential points off turnovers, two point differential. Like, these two teams played exceptionally close they both hit 14 three-pointers. I think that that's pretty notable. It just really comes down to, the in the playoffs, this is like an old axiom, right? Is the best player on the floor wins. And Luka Doncic was the best player on the floor. And it was not close. And when he's done that in this series, when the Clippers have not had the best player on the floor, they have lost all three games. And I think it's, it's going to be harder to shut down Luka I think it's going to be harder to get him, him to wear him down after with where he's at. Like, this was supposed to be the injury game, right? Like, he was questionable coming in, was available to play, played through it. But he, he, like looked, he looked good, too. He didn't yeah, look he like looked, he was, like, lingering anything. He looked fresh. I mean. Yeah, and he <laughs> hit an alley-oop. Like, uh, there was a lot, I, I thought, in this game. What, what, one thing I did think was interesting here is, look, the the – the Mavericks won a game when they shot 41.6% from the field and only 39% from three, which is good. But 14 threes is not an outlier, right? That's not a ton of threes. We're, the, the high points for threes right now are like 19 and 20. And so this was a game that the Clippers, again, really should have won. And you could say all these are games that they should win because they're the better team. But this is one I think that they've really got to look at and say, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, two of nine. Like I've got the numbers here uh, on the chart. Like they shot thirty-eight percent on guys not named Luca amongst most of their wings. I mean, it's this is a all these losses are concerning for the Clippers. This one in particular, I think, is a uh, a little bit more concerning. Though at, I don't know, you know, the Mavs have road court advantage back, but we'll see what happens when the Mavs have to go home because apparently that's how this series works. My gut is telling me the Mavs close it out in six. What about you, Matt? I think it goes seven. Uh, I just have a, have a sense that I think Dallas getting consistent performances is going to be tough. And I think the Clippers, I'll say this, the Clippers have shown they could have just given up after they went down big in game three, right? You're on the road. It's game three. You're down 30 to 11. And you could have just been like, okay, another year. Like, we just don't have it. I just want to go home. And they fought back and they won that game. And then, you know, it's okay, but you're still down 2-1. They come back and they win the next one. And then even tonight, Mavericks got the lead up to 14. They could have quit. They got back down to a one-point lead. Like, they can't get out of... The Ma- the Clippers simultaneously are, like, building a better sense of how to respond to adversity and somehow still getting in their own way to the point where it's a real problem. Like, both of these things are definitely true. If you're saying it's going 7, do you, do you, have, do you have a gut feeling of who's going to win if it goes 7? I don't. That one I don't know. I've got no sense for who's going to win win the series, given that, uh, given how the series has been so crazy. I guess because it's in LA, you have to say Dallas. But and, <laughs> just based on how everything else has gone, right? Yeah, I'll say I will. I'll say this. I lean a little bit towards Dallas because we've got. I think the variance leans a little bit towards them, 
I think the confidence leans a little bit towards them. They're not under any pressure, and Luke has been the best player. And that combination, I think, of those three things, I think, is enough for me to feel like the Clippers are going to win this game. Or series, rather. Coming up, Matt and I are going to talk about the eliminated game, or the elimination games. What am I saying? I can't talk. Whatever. The elimination games that took place. We've got Wizards Philadelphia. We've got Hawks Knicks. We've got Memphis and Utah. And we're going to talk about all of that in just a moment after a message from our friends over at rockauto.com. Look, chain stores, they've got different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, which is totally unfair, right? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're always reliably low. They give you the lowest possible prices rather than changing their prices around based on what the market will bear, kind of like what airlines do. They've got everything, and I mean everything, from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even brand new carpet. You name it, they probably have it. So whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, the prices, already mentioned them, they're always the same. Catalog, easy to navigate. It's just, you gotta check out Rock Auto. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and be sure, this is a really important part, be sure to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Thursday, as we are breaking down last night's eventful, what, stacked playoff night, the last night with all these different games coalescing at the same time, Matt, and we had three series come to an end with the Washington Wizards being eliminated, the New York Knicks being eliminated, and the Memphis Grizzlies being eliminated. So which direction do you want to go first, Matt? Who do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the Sixers, uh, the gentlemen Sixers, as they eliminate the Washington Wizards in five games, otherwise known as the gentlemen sweep, because you give them one, you know, to be polite. The gentlemen! Uh, I think when we look at this, at this, it was an impressive game for them to get the win without Embiid, right? So they come in, and this is a game that they could have dropped, and if they lose this one, then all of a sudden it's 3-2, you don't have Embiid, his status is uncertain, then you're thinking, like, man, maybe we gotta, like, maybe Embiid's gotta play, and he's gotta play through that, that meniscus tear, which came out on Wednesday afternoon. Like, that's not what you want to do. You don't want to be wasting an Embiid game, because it is gonna be, I think, very hit and miss going forward for his availability, when you look back at his 2017 meniscus tear that he tried to play on, he would play a game, it would swell, he would miss one. It would go down, he would play, he would miss two. Like, it, it just it's going to be interrupted, and this is a real problem for their title hopes. But impressive performance, I thought, tonight. Uh, look, Tobias Harris continues to be underrated, but Seth Curry going off for 30 points, even against this Wizards defense, I think that's a big-time performance from him. Like, 30 points in 31 minutes, 3 of 6 from 3, but not having to do it all from three-point range for Curry, that's a really good sign. Tobias Harris continues to pace them. They just had more in the tank than this Wizards team. That I think the Wizards had reached their peak. Like Winning one game in the first-round series was really the best that they could honestly do. And in the final segment, I know we're going to talk about the eliminated teams. There's a lot to kind of consider, I think, with the Wizards trying to evaluate this year, which was just a mess for them as much as for anybody. For the Sixers, I think it's impressive, and now they get ready for a series versus the Hawks, which uh, I think is might wind up being more competitive than people probably realize going in. 
The Hawks are a fun team. I mean, it's going to be we're going to talk about those guys in a second. But another guy, you know, to to throw out the you know, we should mention him, right? Ben Simmons, you know, comes away with a triple double, 19 points, 10 boards, 11 assists, started center in this game, you know, in the absence of Joel Embiid and, you know, does Ben Simmons like things kind of steers, steers everything for the Sixers and, you know, made things work on the Wizards side. You know, you mentioned they don't have, they just don't have enough. And, you know, you look at Bradley Beal, a 30 point game, Russell Westbrook, 24, eight and 10, uh, Rui Hachimura, you know, 21 points. But outside of that, they basically had nobody producing for them. And, like you said, you know, one win in the series was about all you could hope for as as a Wizards fan. And at the end of the day, this was just a, a series where I had the 76ers pegged as winning four games to one. Uh, I don't know where you thought this was going to go coming into the series, but it's pretty much panned out exactly how I thought it was going to happen. Yeah, I bet. I actually bet on it. I bet on. <laughs> I bet that this would wind up going four one. I will say this: I thought that it would be a little bit more competitive in terms of spread. I didn't think that the the Sixers would dominate the way that they did, and I thought that was pretty impressive. But I also think that ultimately, the matchup was bad for the Wizards. And then on top of it, I keep going back to this. And again, we'll talk about Wizards in the next segment. Like not having Thomas Bryant. I think was a very big deal in this series. Like everyone just forgot about Thomas Bryant, who was a really good center that could actually produce and like was giving good effort, even if the results weren't good early in the season defensively. But look, you know, really they had no Avija, no, um, no Bryant. They're playing Beal, Rui, they're starting Gafford, Neto, no, no Bertans, which I only think Bertans was good this year. It's not, it's you know, not like he was good. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, dude got paid yeah. and then decided decided to just not show up. Yeah, so not not a great year for for Davis Bertans, but the Sixers honestly, I think were really impressive in the series. They showed a lot of things in terms of how good that defensive unit is in the second unit, and that's going to be useful when they have to mix and match lineups, not only in the next series but especially in the conference finals versus either the Bucks or the Nets. I think they're going to need that versatility. I think this is a good step for Ben Simmons, right? Like you want Simmons to have like a good playoff game and one that he was really instrumental in in helping win, even if he didn't do the bulk of the scoring or have a a monster game. Did have the triple double, 19, 10, and 11. Did have a plus 17. Took care of business. Played defense. The Sixers were better. And that's really what we expected, I think, going in. Let's bring on our next group of gentlemen, the Hawks and the Knicks. The gentlemen! So, with the Hawks, first off, can we talk about the fact that Trey Young is about that smoke, that he is about that life, and that just the... I, I feel like just there hasn't been enough like chippiness in the NBA in previous seasons. It's felt like, I don't want to say the league's like softer or anything. I'm not going to try and sound like an old head from like the 90s or anything, but... I really like it when there's a bit of a grudge between players or between fan bases, and he absolutely earned himself a villain moniker, uh, really for the entire city of uh, of New York with his whole, you know, kind of the the fu three at the end, and then the bow to really cap things off. It wasn't quite as good as like the Damian Lillard like goodbye wave against the Thunder, but it was damn close. Yeah, I love the bow. He waved to him afterwards. Just a f- phenomenal. This was the coming out series for Trey Young. This was the emergence onto the national scene. And everyone had kind of wondered, you know, okay, Young can get these regular season stats, but what's he going to look like in the playoffs? And the answer is he's awesome. He's, he was absolutely tremendous. 
his quote I after think, the game too, saying, you know, yeah. leading up to this game, I know where we are. I know there's a bunch of shows around this city and I know what they do when the show is over to cap off the bow moment. Like what is like, just what is yeah. that? That is a hell of a quote. Yeah, that's tremendous. Uh, it was funny during the game. Actually, there's a sequence where going into halftime, Julius Randle, after an, after a, an out-bounds call, like takes the ball and is just like th- getting rid of it, but he throws it at Young, who's laying on the ground, and that prompted uh, the Hawks to get up in, up in arms about it, which prompted New Orleans Noel to get up in arms for the Knicks, and then Solomon Hill and New Orleans Noel have to be separated. Like these teams genuinely did not like each other, and they shouldn't because, like, quite honestly, the the Hawks. The the read on the series, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, like I bet the series to go long, and then went back in on the Hawks after Game Two. The series projected is like, all right, two inexperienced teams, we don't know what to expect. The Knicks play really hard. The Hawks are inconsistent. The sh- series should go long, even if you have an edge. I was so impressed with Atlanta. A- Atlanta after that first game, they figured out they were better. They figured out how to attack this team. They figured out how to attack them on both ends, and. It wasn't just Trey Young. It was Bogdanovich, who was phenomenal in the series. It was John Collins, who was sneaky great in this series. It was Clint Capella, who did the stuff that Clint Capella does that's so valuable as a threat around the rim and a shot blocker. Like the Hawks are a really good team. Like they are a they are a really good team. I was skeptical about this team going into the season. I was skeptical about this team for much of the year. And I was skeptical about them going to the playoffs. And honestly, after watching them, I could say, like, this is a really good team. No matter what happens in the next round, they've proven to me that like, there's something there and they have a real chance to evolve into a really great team. I will say this, it's going to be a, a a very big step up in the next round going up against the Sixers, against a team that um, actually will follow Trey and actually put pressure on him. The Knicks just gave him so much room to operate. I mean... They, they let him get to whatever spot he wanted. Like, he dictated the terms of the series from start to finish. And that leaves a lot of questions for the next, which I know we'll talk about in the last segment. Absolutely. And uh, as, as first off, as somebody who, you know, covers the Rockets full time, seeing Clint Capella have this playoff success, knowing, you know, watching him grow and develop alongside James Harden and now seeing, you know, that continued presence that he has that rim running big, uh, you know, great pick and roll presence, great defensive anchor for this Atlanta Hawks team, great rebounding presence, everything that he can bring to the table. You know, I'm really glad to see him thriving, you know, with this team because uh, he was a really important part of what the Rockets did for years. So it's great to see him, you know, flourishing alongside Trey Young. As soon as that trade took place, I was like, oh, yeah, like Trey and Clint in the pick and roll, that's going to be deadly. It's going to be good. Um, really quick, though, before we get to our final elimination team, Matt, are you selling? Julius Randle stock after this series. Oh man, that's brutal. Um, a little bit. He fi- I think yeah. he didn't. He didn't crack thirty percent shooting yeah. for the series. Yeah. The this year's most improved player. Yeah, and look, he was he deserved that award. He was genuinely great in the regular season. He was awesome. Like he averaged, I think, like thirty four or something against the the Hawks this season in the regular season, but the playoffs are different. They, I'll be up front. I, I had the Knicks pegged to win in six. I, I and really? I apologize right now to any Atlanta fans listening to this. I really thought the Knicks were going to win in six. I, I thought Atlanta was, you know, young inexperienced. that they weren't going to, you know, this was going to be their first trip to the playoffs with, you know, a young core and that they were going to get rocked. But I, I extend my consult, my, my apologies right now to any Hawks fans listening to this, but 
Julius Randle did not deliver in the playoffs. No, he didn't. It, it was tough. And like 21 shots a night, like eight makes on 21 shots. That's that's rough. But look, the other thing is we talk about inexperience. The key players on this team going forward are Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Without Mitchell Robinson, they're starting Taj Gibson at center. That's really rough versus a Capella front line. Uh, Reggie Bullock, I think, was a really good player this year and very underrated for the Knicks' success. But here's like, beyond all that, Jackson, like here's the biggest thing. We've seen the Tibbs playoff show before. They try hard in the regular season, and because no one tries hard in the regular season, they rack up wins and they can rack up numbers. But in the postseason, everyone else plays at that same gear, and then you see these problems. The Knicks had no offensive plan tonight. None. They had no plan for what they were trying to do on offense. And defensively, they were incapable of executing a scheme. Um, I think there, we're going to be talking a lot about this as the playoffs go on. There are a lot of times when if you have too easy of a first-round opponent, the adjustment to actual playoff teams that have been in the fight for two, three weeks is rough. And I think the Hawks actually might have a little bit of an adjustment, but I think the Sixers might as well. So that'll be what will be interesting for both of those teams. But like the Knicks were very unprepared for how to win this series. And that has to go on Tom Thibodeau, I think a little bit. Coming up, we still got to talk about Utah Jazz, Memphis Grizzlies, uh, as well as what this, you know, what the outlook is for the teams that are now eliminated and not moving on in the playoffs. And we'll get there after a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Look, BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. We got baseball season in full swing. NBA playoffs are here and going on strong. Not only that, you've got NHL, UFC, you name it, they have it over at BetOnline. So before the next pitch, before the next fight, head over to BetOnline and sign up using promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Thursday, breaking down all of your NBA playoff action. And on our road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Now, Matt, the Jazz Grizzlies series, first off, we have to tee this off by saying that this is what I, I what is being coined as uh, a reminder called the uh, the douchebag sweep, which is a term referring to the best of seven series in which the winning team allows their opponent to win game one, giving that fan base the false hope of a series upset before winning the next four games in a row. I really liked the Grizzlies in this series. I mean, I, I thought they really fought hard, and it was a nice, you know, welcome to the playoff series for John Morant. I thought he was spectacular. He was. He was amazing, and they hung, and they fought back, and they were hanging around, I think, in probably you know three of the five games, um, and the other two were just complete blowouts. The biggest thing is, we talk about the experience factor, the Jazz are such a well-oiled machine that they understand their triggers exceptionally well. And in the NBA, in pick and roll, you can force teams, most teams, unless they have absolutely elite personnel, into situations where, okay, if they're going to do X, then we're going to execute Y. And if they respond with A, we're going to do Z. And the Jazz are supremely good at that. Now, the Jazz going forward, I think in the next series, are going to face teams that offensively can keep 
up with them a lot more. And this is key because the Jazz need to get stops in order to set up their offense, and they need to get buckets in order to set up their defense. And that's going to be a lot harder in the next series, regardless of who comes out of Clippers and Mavericks. But the Jazz also just have a tremendous amount of firepower. They can get stops, and they absolutely, when they're firing, their three-point volume, the mechanisms they use to get there, and the play of Donovan Mitchell, who's spectacular tonight, all of that combines to make them a very tough team to beat. They're they're so disciplined in those triggers. And the problem with Memphis was that Memphis was not ready to be able to combat those things. You have to go through the experience of what the playoffs are like. You have to go through like, man, if you don't make that read and you if you are not running full speed to recover when they fake the inside pass to Rudy and then redirect to the outside, if you don't make the correct read, if you don't close off with it with intent, and you can't just close off like run them off the line. You have to close out and then get back into position because those guys will drive and they will score. They have so many ways to beat you. They have they can kill you with Donovan Mitchell pick and roll, Mike Conley pick and roll, who Mike Conley picked up a hamstring injury tonight, reaggravated that sore hamstring. He says it's not as bad as the previous two that he's had. There's I don't think there's there's any reason to think he won't be available next round. Um, they can kill you with Joe Ingles, and they can kill you with with Bogdanovich pick and rolls. Like they having the ability to run pick and rolls with all those different guys, I think is very very big. The Jazz, I think, are a beatable team. I think Memphis kind of showed that that you can play hard and smart and with intensity, and if you can make shots and if you can really really ratchet up the pressure on their shooters you can cause issues, but you better have a way to neutralize Donovan Mitchell because that was the big thing. The Grizzlies won game one. Donovan Mitchell comes back. The Grizzlies do not sniff this series again because of how good Donovan Mitchell makes those trigger actions. Um, I think Draymond Green had some really good insight in how Rudy Gobert makes his impact felt on the game, right? And I think he said something, I'm paraphrasing here, but right, choose, like, it's up to the opposing team to choose how Rudy Gobert gets involved on a defensive possession, right? Because Rudy Gobert is going to make his presence felt, but it's up to the opposing team, so in this case it's up to the Grizzlies, to decide where they want to force Rudy Gobert's action at defensively. And if they don't force him to be involved in things, if they allow him to to drop low, to to guard the rim, and you know, def- depending on the different coverages that they see, if they don't get him involved enough, then he's going to be involved in the spots that he wants to be involved in, versus you know making him feel uncomfortable, you know, bringing him out, getting him on potential switches, you know, things like that to really try and get him uncomfortable on the defensive side of things. And you talk about a team that you know, like the Grizzlies, who has to go through this kind of you know learning. Uh, learning process and, you know, go through some of these playoff losses. You know, the Jazz were a team that got bounced by the Rockets a couple years in a row, came up short last postseason, and I think they're, they've are they they gone through some of those losses. They finally, you know, recognized or gone through the growing process that they need to, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and now they're at a point where they've got a lot of pieces that all mesh really well together, and they're playing a really elite brand of basketball with how they get their quality shots and the fact that they've got the quality shooters in place to make said shots. Right. I mean, the three-point volume is what's really changed everything for them is just having the offensive firepower to where they don't need, like, hyper-efficiency at all spots. What they need is they need volume at decent efficiency, and they have good efficiency, and that's what makes them so dangerous. I think, look, 
I still think there's a lot of ways that the Jazz uh, are gonna can be vulnerable. I think that there's still teams that are going to be able to at least put a little bit of pressure point on Rudy Gobert. I don't think that the Grizzlies were well-equipped to do that. I think going forward, that's going to be a big lesson, no matter if it's Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, or Luka Doncic. Um, we're going to learn a lot about this team in the second round. I think the, the second round is where we're going to learn, okay, are they this dominant beast that they've said they've been all year? Or did Memphis kind of kind of show, like, look, you can beat them, but if you're not if you're not really sharp, they're gonna tear you apart. Um, it's gonna be fascinating. I, I I'm really interested to see how this Jazz story ends up because the Jazz are an exceptionally good team. They really are. They're a great team. I still think that like most teams in the West, I think they're they're flawed. That's what's really funny is we went into the year and looking at the the brutal brutal Western Conference with all these good teams. All these teams have significant flaws across the board. Um, which is why I gotta tell you, like, I think Nets Bucks is honestly the NBA's finals. I really do. I think this is going to be the battle of the two best teams in the NBA. Well, I think Matt, when we're looking at these, these teams that just got eliminated, looking at the Wizards, looking at the Knicks and looking at the Grizzlies, I think Grizzlies, it's, it's evident, you know, they're a young team. They showed some promise. They showed some flashes and they're on, they're on the upswing. They've got a young budding superstar in John Morant. And, you know, I don't think there's any gigantic questions plaguing them. The Knicks maybe a little bit more so. We kind of already addressed, you know, the Julius Randle situation and that'll be uh, potentially a topic for another day. But I think the biggest question out of these three teams that were just eliminated, uh, the, the, the clouds are lingering over the Wizards franchise. You know, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, Coach Scott Brooks. I mean, what are, you, what are your takeaways from this team? I didn't feel like they ever really had a chance. They came out of the gate and they struggled. They just they had a lot of bad luck early and then they got hit. Like what what happened to the Wizards was they had bad luck early with a lot of losses where you looked at it and you went that was weird. Like that was just a weird loss. Nothing was really clicking early. Then Thomas Bryant goes down and again like people just forget how big of a part of the team he was projected to be. It was supposed to be Beal and Westbrook with Thomas Bryant. He goes down. Then the COVID stuff happens and that wrecks them for basically two months. They crawl their way back out of it. They make it into the spot where they can land the, potentially the seven seed. They lose the Celtics badly. Then they come back and they win the next game to, to secure the eighth. Um, it just wasn't a, a complete year for them. I could tell you that everyone I talked to in the league this year from basically training camp on was convinced that Beal was not going to be available in trade talks because the word was out that basically he had indicated he does not want to deal with trade discussions or the idea of a trade or being traded during a global pandemic, that that made him really nervous. And that's totally understandable. We're starting to move past that. And so the question is going to be, does that change his position? And I don't know that you, he looks at this season and goes like, wow, we've really got something here. I think he was okay with Russ. I think Russ is okay with him. I don't think there were any sort of problems. There's been no real indication that that's like a match made in heaven. And so, you know, the Wizards might run it back. I think they need a lot of upgrades. I liked a lot of what I saw from Rui Hachimura this year. I liked, a, I liked what I saw from him a lot. Robin Lopez gave them good minutes. But the reality is that the Wizards are still trying to figure out how to actually move up. And, and treading, treading water in the East yeah. is not a, good, not a good place to be yeah. whatsoever. And they're just stalled. And so I don't know what the future is going to hold. But I, I do know that I like Tommy Shepard um, and his chances of being able to do something. I think 
with real control of the franchise, especially the Beal opportunity. If they do, if Beal does request a trade, honestly, that gives you the opportunity to start looking at okay, how can we really reconfigure this team? How can we rethink this franchise? Which is honestly what it needs more than anything. Do you think Scott Brooks comes back? I think that's a big I question do. too. I do. I think. Look, they could have they could have absolutely bailed, and again, he you know he pulled the team out and got them on that win streak. I I'll say this: I don't think that all like there are certain coaches that probably should be let go right there are certain situations that were clearly untenable um i don't think th- i think for the most part unless you have very clear like the players hated the guy i think you got to give coaches a- and players a pass this year there's just too like the schedule was a nightmare and you can say like okay but brooks isn't the guy to take us forward but you're not going forward anyway so that's that to me is a lot of the question. Like, look, if they keep Beal and Westbrook and they try and reconfigure to possibly add somebody else, which would be a wild move. But if they went that direction, okay, maybe maybe adding a different coach to try and get you to the next level is the is the way to go. But if you're stepping back, why pay the extra money for the coach? Just, I mean, it's not the fans' money, so what do they care? But like, I think Brooks does a really good job with player development. I think Brooks does a really good job with building a culture. And I think that Brooks is a Brooks is not the best X's and O's coach. He's not the best tactical mind in the league, but he's a really good coach. And I think that it would be unfair to tackle to to, to look at this season and everything that went wrong and go, oh yeah, Scott Brooks is the problem. Yeah, this one's you got to kind of have to write the season off and just say, you know what, it's a blip. You know, we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna just you know pin this one and we'll revisit some of these discussions, you know, a little bit further down the line. But speaking of coaching, Matt completely buried the lead on this one as we were preoccupied with playoff basketball, but um, Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge stepping down. We, we don't have, we really don't have that much time, but we don't have any time really to talk about it, but you know, who is going to talk about it? John Corrales over at locked on Celtics. So soft plug for John Corrales, go check out locked on Celtics. He's going to have you covered for all of that. What are we calling it? Jump dumpster fire mess over it. You know, the bruised leprechaun story, all of that over at locked on Celtics. <laughs> You know, it's 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 really wild. Just um, what's even crazier is that there's so much talk in the league about how there's going to be like repercussions of this in terms of if Ainge goes somewhere and then that means somebody else goes somewhere else and then that means somebody else goes somewhere else. And there's a lot of questions about, you know, I'm figuring there's probably going to be word on Mike Zarin and Dave Lewin, director of player development, like in the next couple of days. They have a really good Ainge built a very good staff, and I think it's possible that all those guys stay and just you know, align under Brad, but I think it's also possible. Some of those, those guys look for other opportunities and that's a very talented staff. Stevens. I think I wrote about over at action today. There's just a lot of questions. Like this is the whole thing is Stevens might be brilliant and might be great at evaluating talent and finding these type of things. I have a lot of concerns about his ability to make the kind of trades he's going to need to make to get this team back to where they want to go because he has a personal relationship with guys like Marcus Smart. He's got a personal relationship with guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. He's got a personal relationship with these guys. He's going to have to deal with agents and egos and money and contracts and salary cap. And like, this is a lot of stuff that he's going to have to manage. And I'm not saying that he can't do it. Stevens is a very sharp guy and he's been successful everywhere he's gone. There's every reason to believe that he'll be successful here too, but we don't know. And that, that to me is like the big takeaway from the Celtics thing is just a giant, the the Dumbledore shrug gif of like, well, uh, who knows? Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll see how this goes, I guess. 
Man, well, Matt, we, we also, did, we, first off, we buried the lead twice on this. Uh, we're the new permanent Thursday host for Locked on NBA. So that's fun news. Um, I guess, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to tee this up. I didn't write anything down for this. But uh, I'm excited to be hosting the show with you now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great, man. We're going to bring you... You know, in-depth analysis from Jackson and I get you everything that you need to know about the league, and I will probably say things that um, I shouldn't at some point. So it's gonna be great. It's gonna be absolutely awesome. Uh, glad to be along with you, Jackson. I already know my job, Matt, is gonna be to reel you in from time to time <laughs> yeah, when I need to, and I'm ready for it. I'm up to the ta- I'm up to the challenge. There you go. Get get, get that reel ready. All right. Well, in case you have, in case you didn't know, you can get more of the sports news that you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Be sure to follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. But that's going to do it for another episode of Locked On NBA Thursday. Don't forget to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and of course the new Odyssey app. Drop some stars, leave a review, and share the show with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. Locked On NBA.